What do you know about buying a home in 2024? Perhaps it's been a long time since you've been in the market to purchase, or maybe you're going to be a first-time homebuyer soon. One way or the other, I believe that today's story is very important for you because it affects your wallet. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Let's get emboldened. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden. My topic for today is a little bit different than some of the things that I've been focused on over the last month. It's something that I believe affects the average everyday American. As you know, that over the last three years since the pandemic, home prices have rocketed to new heights. People are paying more for a home now than at any time in history. Uh, it's one of the quickest rises in home prices that we have seen. And unfortunately, unlike 2007, 2008, where they were coming back down, we don't really see home prices coming back down now because there's a lot of, a, a lot of political reasons why that's going to be the case, not just interest rates. But now homes may be more expensive for certain individuals to purchase because of a lawsuit that just took place at the end of October that was almost four years in the making. This lawsuit was first filed back in 2019. The lawsuit we're talking about today is called Burnett versus NAR, NAR standing for the National Association of Realtors. It was filed on behalf of over 500,000 home sellers in Missouri and their border towns. What they were trying to point out was when the sellers were going to make that sale of their home, they were paying not just their seller's agent, but in the contract, they were paying the buyer's agent as well. Well, after this finally went to a trial in October 31st of just last year, a few months ago, the National Association of Realtors lost the case and were ordered to pay nearly $1.8 billion in damages. And that was also with other large brokerages around that area. This court case had sent a ripple effect to all 50 states. There are different policies in every single state. Real estate may be different in the state that you're listening at. I want to keep that in mind as I conduct the interviews today with my guest, that the advice or the opinions that they may be providing may not be valid in the state that you live in. So you want to make sure that you consult with a real estate agent wherever you are residing to make sure that this practice is similar uh, to where you may be located. But we've got to talk about this because... It could mean that if you're a buyer in a real estate market, not only did the prices of homes go up, but now you might have to pay even more money to pay your real estate agent that's supposed to be making sure you have home inspections, supposed to be making sure that you're protected in this transaction. So I decided I would reach out to two great experts in this field. For those bold Americans that listen to the show that don't know this, I sold real estate for almost a decade, and my family goes back in real estate all the way to the 1960s uh, here in the state of Delaware. Uh, so this is an area that I already had some experience in, but I've been out of real estate now for almost a decade as I've been in broadcasting. And so my guests today are uh, some phenomenal, phenomenal experts in these areas. My first guest that I'm going to be bringing onto the stage, and we're going to have both of them together, is Ryan Zinn. Ryan Zinn, she is a uh, licensed real estate broker who started with a company called Remax way back in 2002. She now is with a company called Compass, and we'll talk maybe about her journey and how uh, buyer's agency has developed, fiduciary responsibility has been defined. And she also is somebody who's been doing tens of million dollars of uh, sales just over the last several years. So very well established within the Pennsylvania and Delaware real estate markets. Uh, really just awesome professional. I know you're going to love having on the show today. My other guest is a mortgage consultant. And he's a mortgage consultant with 17 years of experience in this field. And his name is Ben Basosa. And Ben has all the intricacies because the company that he works for, they service a ton of different states as well. 
but they offer a ton of different lending products. And so he has access to kind of what's going on in the lending world and become an expert into that. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome both Ryan and Ben to the stage. Ryan, how are you doing this evening? Hello, how are you, Greg? Nice to be here. Thank oh, it's great, great to have you here. And how about yourself, Ben? How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, it's, it's good to have you guys here too, uh, because I could not have this conversation on my own because I want to serve America well in this. I've interviewed some other real estate agents. I had an opportunity to speak with a real estate agent who's been in this since the 90s, before the buyer's agency uh, laws kind of turned around the way they did. Her name was Kat Paglia Campy, as well as Jeff Bollinger, who both are uh, kind of in agreement on a lot of where they come. But I want to talk to Ryan tonight. I want to talk to Ben and figure out what does this mean for buyers? What does this mean for sellers? And how is it going to change your industry? I mean, we know it's an appeal, but right now we're in uncharted territory. So let's start off on the real estate side with uh, Ryan. You're meeting with home sellers and buyers on a pretty regular basis. How many of them are aware of this court case and have brought that up to you so far? Uh, actually, so far, not a single one. <laughs> I've, I've spoken, you know, about the topic with other realtors, with um, family and friends, but um, I haven't, you know, clients come to me for specific reasons, buy or sell, and I have not had a single client ask me about it yet. Wow, that's, that's amazing because in the polls that were put out nationally, uh, realtors were reporting about 50% of clients had been educating them on what they heard about. A lot of them didn't really have all the facts straight, uh, but nationally that number is a lot higher. So uh, maybe the show sure. will, will serve them well to let them know what's going on. Um, ben, how about yourself in the lending world? Has this conversation come up with any of your clients? Well, it's a conversation that we've had uh, multiple times over throughout the years. Clients generally think they always have to pay their agent on the buyer's end um, when they purchase a home. And the answer has generally always been no, you know, under the current rules. Um, so it has come up multiple times in the past, but up until this point where we are today, you know, it's it's been a mute point or no issue. Well, let's start there in the conversation. I'm gonna share my screen here for those that are viewing the show. Um, up here, I'm putting a HUD-1 sheet up. For those that are not familiar with a HUD-1, this is the document that legally must be presented at the seller's uh, table uh, when you're going to the, do your final settlement. That's going to show where your fees are coming out, uh, how much is being paid to the state for county taxes, the state for uh, the transfer tax, as well as any liens, titles, all that, your lawyer fees, as well as the real estate brokerage fees. Uh, if, Ryan, if you want to walk us through, what is the typical way that normally you explain this to your sellers or to your buyers? How do you go through this document? Um, yeah, I mean, I typically am. I'm. I'm. I'm three. I'm probably one of three that really explains this document. One, of course, being um, you know someone like Ben, uh, a mortgage consultant, is probably really the first person to touch on this with the buyers. I, I would imagine because it um, or the sellers, um, really, I guess the buyers in the mortgage in the mortgage um, side of things, because they're explaining what those numbers mean to the buyer and what they must bring to closing and things like that. Um, I go over it with them briefly, but it's 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 a balance sheet is how I explain it. So you can see clearly, you know, there's debit side and credit side for both parties. And it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty um, easy to understand. There's sometimes a few things that are a little bit harder to explain, and that usually falls in the lap of the closing um, title company or the closing attorney in, in, in our state. We have a closing attorney um, that works on the buyer's behalf that explains that very well. And, um, you know, is there for questions and, and, uh, for the buyer, um, for the buyer side of things and the seller, but they represent the buyer. So uh, I, I go over it, but I don't go, you know, it's not, not typically the, my, my biggest task to deal with as far as clients. Right. And the reason I start with you, Ron, is because the court case that that's being uh, heard and what's being appealed, they're trying to say that realtors we're not uh, putting this out there in a way that was uh, transparent. And they also made this claim that uh, when companies, these brokerages were all colluding to keep these rates unofficial, uh, artificially high. And I know that Ben 
it's his responsibility as the uh, mortgage lender in truth in lending to be the very first person that gets this document to the person who's doing uh, the purchase, as well as to make sure that it's as accurate as possible from the estimate that he sent at the very beginning to the very end. The government does not like it when they're not in line. So Ben, could you please explain just a little bit about your process of what you do as the lender to explain the charges? Well, sure. It's my job to inform the client on every fee that's uh, that's required throughout the process. Go over the interest rates, the payments, and you know, and that's a really important part of the buying process is, is understanding how much you can afford and within your means, whether it's regards to your cash to close, um, how much cash you're looking to spend each month. So, you know, this is really a pinnacle part of the of the initial consult with a client is determining what they can afford. And, and that sheet's very important. So as far as the seller side, when you go to meet with a, uh, a client, Ryan, that's going to be selling, can you explain to listeners the way the contract stated for why a seller pays a fee that would go to both the seller's agent and the buyer's agent? How, how do you explain that in your presentation? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I typically cover that but I mean, it covered a few different times, actually, because we're talking about it in the listing agreement itself, where we lay out what, you know, decide what the commission's going to be. We talk about that and how that's split. Um, so in that section, we talk about it. Um, and I explain most of my sellers seem to know, but there are certainly sellers that are, are selling for the first time or haven't done it in a long time that are not quite familiar with it. So I explain this is how much we will offer to the buyer's broker as a, you know, cooperation, uh, cooperative um, commission. They will, you know, if the if that broker agent brings the buyer, then we split this commission and this is how it's split. Um, and then, you know, we discuss again how that works when we go over. There's a, in Delaware, there's a consumer information statement that discusses how agency works and who represents whom. And um, it doesn't really get into commissions in that document. It's more about the fiduciary responsibility and the relationship um, between client and consumer and, and agent and broker. Um, and that, um, so I kind of talk about it again with that document, but I really, um, to me, it, it, uh, it seems to make sense when I explain it, it seems to make sense to my clients why we do that. And that's to give them the maximum amount of exposure on the open market. Right. And so just to explain to individuals that are maybe hazy on the home buying process, maybe it's been a while since they purchased a home. There's different types of agencies agreements that a client can enter into with a real estate agent, a realtor. You can enter into an agreement that's a dual agency where you understand that the realtor is representing both sides. And when a realtor enters both sides, then their fiduciary responsibility often gets very blurred. Meaning if they have a home that's listed and they also bring the home buyer, the home buyer really doesn't have a proper protection, so to speak, uh, in the sense of the law, because now you have somebody that may know, hey, this person's willing to take probably $20,000 less for this home, but mm -hmm. they can't tell the home buyer that. Uh, where if you were only representing a home buyer, a buyer's agency agreement, you could possibly, possibly say, you know what? I pulled the comps. I think that we can go even lower on this, although maybe not in today's market, uh, but we could probably get this home for just a little better deal or we get some closing costs put in here. So you would agree that the separation of agency as a seller's agent or a buyer's agent is a very solid thing for the protection of the consumer, correct? Um, yes. I mean, I've worked as a dual agent, so I've, I've done that. Um, it's legal in Delaware. It's not legal in every state. I, I understand why it's not legal in every state. And I honestly, if Delaware enacted the no dual agency law, I would not be upset. Um, I've done it. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it's, uh, because of what you said, it's, um, I feel that I acted in, you know, in, with integrity and, and completed those transactions without, um, you know, violating anything as far as any, either of my clients went. Um, I learned something in my very, you know, early pre-licensing class back in 2001 when I took it. And that was, 
um, you know, everything you have to disclose is, is sticks and bricks. That's what the, the, yeah. the instructors said. So anything that's, you know, wrong with the house, the roof is leaking or the, you know, the, the structural um, integrity has been compromised or something, all that has to be disclosed, regardless of whether you found that out and you're representing the, the seller and, and you have no representation for the buyer, you, you have to disclose that. So I never felt like there was anything I had to hold on to. If it was a matter of pricing or motivation or, you know, someone's going through a divorce, I wouldn't tell that information to anyone anyway. So I never felt like there was a conflict for me. That being said, I can see and I've heard stories about how it could get tricky. And so, again, I've done it. it um, it's 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 challenging, but I think it's doable and you could do it fairly most of the time. That being said, if it were if the law were changed, I wouldn't right. I wouldn't be upset. <laughs> so so one of the the accusations in this lawsuit that the jury agreed with was that the brokerages and the National Association of Realtors had worked to kind of create an artificial price point of commission that everybody agreed to, that there was some type of grand collusion. Now, in my experience, I don't know that that is a just statement, but I also don't live in Missouri. I lived in Delaware selling real estate in the tri-state area. Um, I'm curious for your thoughts on whether or not you believe that real estate brokerages have held on to the standard of 5%, 6% and been unwilling to move from that that could give the juries this impression that there has been a collusion to keep that price at that point. Which, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I certainly don't think there's any collusion. I've never seen evidence of that. I've never been party to anything like that. Um, I think what happens is that it's, it's become that sort of customary amount. It doesn't mean that you have to stick to that. I've certainly negotiated lower. I have had mm -hmm. higher. So I, it depends on the situation. And I think it depends on the market and, and how much you're doing for, that um, that client and marketing wise and all the other things you have to do to get that property sold. So I don't to me, I don't see collusion. I think it's remained at that level because it's makes sense. Right. Well, here's here's what they used in the court case. They said that during this case, somebody had like a five hundred thousand dollar home that they were selling. And in that $500,000 home, there was a 5% commission that was due, meaning they owed $25,000 at the settlement table. Ben, you, you, you've seen this all the time. This goes to that HUD-1 form. So when you take that $25,000, what they're actually saying is $12,500 is going to go over to the seller's agent, $12,500 is going to go over to the buyer's agent. What they were upset about is something comes up at the, uh, the uh, seller's uh, disclosure sheet, they have their home inspection. That's kind of what I was looking for. And they go, you know what? We need $10,000 uh, taken off the price in order for us to settle on this, to take care of this issue. The sellers were stating that 5% commission, the realtors lost $500, $250 a piece, while they lost $10,000 and they didn't feel that it was equitable. I'm going to go to Ben for this part, the start, and then we're going to go back to you, Ryan, because I want your input as well. Ben, what's your thoughts on whether or not that is an equitable loss? Equitable loss? You mean for the realtors? Uh, for all or parties. For the, for, for the seller, really. Parties. The seller is the one saying, I'm being harmed by losing 10000 over here, but yet the realtors don't lose anything. Oh, I, I really have no opinion on that part. I mean, that's really outside of the lending world. You know, I represent the, the buyer in, in the way of, uh, what am I? I'm the guy at the end of the day with the bag of money, you know? Um, so that's, that's my job is to ensure that they get the closing on time. They're happy. Everything is disclosed adequately. And, you know, I do a pretty good job at that part. So, you know, at the time of settlement for me, it should be a real happy client. We're going there. The buyer is as for the seller's part. I mean, um, you know, I can't speak for them. That's on the listing agent and the buyer's agent, again, two agents, not just one. Um, that's representing both sides. So there's that, that strong negotiation part, you know, where they can negotiate between the two. But um, I really can't speak to that part, Greg. And I kind of knew that was going to be Ben's answer, Ryan, which is why I went to Ben first, because <laughs> I, I just wanted to kind of clarify that for everybody. That would be the mortgage side. Now for you, that's been doing this since uh, for 22 years now, um, where do you stand on? How do you explain that to somebody? If they had an issue, it's like, well, I took this big loss. You guys aren't taking a loss. 
have you ever had like a sour grapes uh, situation like that? Um, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, it's like a double edged sword, because I've had people say like, well, you or you want to bump the price up, because you're going to make more money. And I'm like, do you realize what I make on another, like you said, $10,000? Like, it's not like I'm, that's, anyway, I don't operate that way anyway. But I think it's funny that it's like on either end. It's like you either lose or you lose. I don't know which, but so I don't, we are our previous discussion right before this topic was is the percentage, you know, are the percentages are we colluding to keep the percentages where they are because maybe they're too high. But now we're talking about ten thousand dollars. We're still talking about a percent. Right. So like proportionally, that's the same. So is it too high or is it too low? Like, that's what I mean. Like, it doesn't really that doesn't really make sense for me. Um, if there's a ten thousand dollar repair and there's a something that's significant, right? That's, I mean, that might not be a roof. That's like half a roof, but that might be um, an HVAC system, or mm -hmm. that might be, you know, a major water issue in a basement that needs to be, you know, fully waterproofed and taken care of. That's an, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a defect in the house. That's a problem that's been discovered. And there's a reason they're negotiating. Now, if they negotiate because their back is against the wall and they have to get the household, you know, then they're already mad and they're already stressed and they're already looking to, try to recoup whatever they can. But really at the end of the day, that's a, a repair. That's something with the house. And does the, you know, does the agent lose less? Yeah, it's a percentage. So I don't know. That's a tough one because I just, it's, you're like damned if you do damned if you don't. So. Yeah. And there, I know every mortgage, uh, mortgage company, brokerage company handles those percentages differently. When I was selling real estate, I was a Caldwell banker preferred, uh, which is now I believe Caldwell banker, just mortgage, uh, here in the local area. Uh, but I know that my broker, he's like, hey, we want 6%. You know, you get a listing, 6% it is. You can offer 3% to both sides. If you really have to go down the 5%, go the 5%. But we were encouraged back then, and again, this is 10 years ago, not to take any listings underneath 5%, that there were other companies that didn't offer as good of services as we would be offering. And I, I believe that we had one of the most robust systems back then with the MLS uh, in order to make things happen for clients. Uh, data like other companies didn't have. They wanted our data. I think now it's kind of equalized a bit between companies. But I know companies started rising up and doing 3% brokerage rates, you know, or 2, 3%, 1.5%, 1.5%, 2%, 1%, 1%. And, and then there's realtors that are going, whew, man, what type of service is going to be offered on either side? These realtors are basically given away. You got to, as a realtor, you got to almost sell two homes a year just to make it break even of what you're putting into your business every single year. A lot of people don't realize that, that real estate's very expensive. You're constantly doing professional development, uh, putting wear and tear on your car. Uh, it's, it's not a, an industry where you sell two homes and you're rich. It's an industry you sell two homes and you go, okay, now I got to sell my third so I can actually start to make a profit this year. Um, so even at all this, I understand that, I guess what I'm asking with this talk about all these other companies, I think that all these other companies now show there's no collusion. It shows that you have options. You can go to a company that might be inferior to a superior company, but you're going to pay that in your rate. Is that a good way to, to, to point that out, Ryan? Um, would you, well, sorry, what was the actual question at the end there? Yeah. So as we have all these additional brokerages that are coming out, offering mm -hmm. different variable, uh, commission rates, it's no longer locked in 5%, 6%, 7%. People have options. They can shop around, find a company maybe that's not as, uh, complex. Mm -hmm. Um, it's tough to make a, a call saying that there's collusion, correct? I mean, I think so. And I think you know, I, that's fine. If there's, there's a, there's a variety, I think it's good. I think it's good for the market. It's healthy for competition like that. Let it, you know, let it happen and, and, um, people will choose. And that's, you know, the, the beauty of the, our free market and our, the way our government works and our economy works. So I don't oppose that at all. I, you know, so yeah, I agree. I think there's lots of options. And just to go back to your point about your experience with Caldwell, I, you know, I've only had two broker experiences, Remax and, and Compass. Um, neither of those brokers have I ever, ever heard any recommendation even of what we should charge ever, not once. 
And I, I mean, I was at Remax for 19 years and I've been at Compass for almost three. So now I don't know how Compass works, but Remax, you were your own kind of like office within a Remax branch. So from my understanding, Remax has always had a little bit more freedom on what they were pricing themselves at because they were renting their office space from the brokerage where their office was at. So that's, that's accurate. Correct. Do I have the, I'm not misrepresenting that. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, you don't have to rent space there, but yes, right. I didn't. I vote. Right. Yeah. I worked from home, but people did rent, you know, offices within right. the office and yes, you are kind of on your own if that's yeah. Yeah. So every brokerage, they have kind of a different system. Well, yes. So this is what's happening for the profession of real estate. Now let's talk about how the buyers may be affected. Should this court case be upheld right now? It's being appealed January 11th and went to a, a official appeal from the NAR. But should they say, yes, this 1.8, it's going to ripple down to every single state. And it may be that the state of Delaware's contract, the state of Pennsylvania can no longer have a real estate commission explicitly uh, charged to the seller anymore. And people may say, you know what? I'm not paying it for the buyer. It has to be paid. So Ben, we're already in a really bad financial state with the interest rates are going up, up and up. Home prices have gone up, up and up. Can you explain to listeners how this affects first time home buyers, people that are thinking about selling to move because of a job? What's going to happen uh, what are the the issues that this court case could really present for you in the lending industry? Well, it's it's going to be affecting the clients in in a pretty negative way, and it's buyers' ability to buy. I mean, their ability to buy is going to be uh, significantly impacted because you know a lot of my first time buyers, um, a large portion of them, um, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but um, I'd say uh, a solid. Greater than 50% of my first-time home buyers are generally using uh, grant money or down payment assistance funds. Each state has their own uh, unique uh, down payment assistance tools, and we have them in every state. Um, I do have some 100% financing options, but if the client utilizes that 100% financing, like a USDA loan or a VA loan, or veterans, or um, you know, or my conventional 100% financing. They're using that because they don't have the funds to bring the closing. So now, in addition, if they have to start paying a realtor for their their advice and their guidance through this process, I don't see where they're going to have the funds to do so. Now, uh, uh, my other 50% of my clients that have the funds, whether they're selling a home or and they have the equity from it, um, you know that that money is going to come uh, essentially from the sale of their home. So if uh, because that's where a lot of my clients that sell a home and buy a home, they use the equity from their current home. Um, so that's kind of the same thing that we're talking about, isn't it, Craig? So if they're using their funds from the sale of their home, that's the same as them paying a buyer's agency fee. Because so it's going to come from the equity of their prop, their home, isn't it? So yes, if I'm buying a home and all of a sudden I don't have that in my mortgage, the money for the home to go to my buyer's agent. Because right now, as far as I know, there's no process on the books for you as a, a mortgage lender in order to accommodate that. The money has always an underwriting gone. That's the cost of the home. And out of that cost of the home, the money gets split to the seller's agent, the buyer's agent. This would likely have to rewrite all underwriting. Is that correct? Well, I don't know about underwriting part of it. Um, underwriting looks at um, and I'm not going to speak to all of underwriting practices here, but, you know, when we're looking at uh, the cash to close, we have to make sure it's from an acceptable source. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the sale of the home would be an acceptable source. So if I sell my home, it's worth, they sell it for 300 and I net say 200, if my mortgage is a hundred minus any agency fees or realtor fees or transfer taxes, the States take, um, then that that's normally where when somebody is moving up or down, um, on their, their style of living, um, that's where all the money normally comes from. Now, some of my first time home buyers, they have money saved, um, you know, and it could be from their job, 401ks I've seen people tap into a lot. Um, so it, the, the money has to come from somewhere, okay, or the down payment assistance. Right. So that fee that's going to be potentially paid to a buyer's agent, um, I, I truly feel it's going to 
significantly impact a lot of first-time home buyers in a negative way. Right, because a first-time home buyer may be telling them, you know what, I need $10,000 seller's assistance, knowing that they're going to have uh, the, uh, going with an FHA loan, a VA loan, uh, they're going to need to take in consideration debt ratios. The reason I mentioned the underwriting process was simply when you think about the fees that are going to have to come back out, when you have a clean contract, it's already on there right now. Seller's agent gets two and a half, buyer's agent gets two and a half. On your HUD one sheet, you're gonna break that out. Truth and lending, you're going to show them right up front. Here's the estimated funds to close. We're gonna take this loan out in this dollar amount. What I believe would have to happen, which would affect the underwriting process, is say Ryan was representing a buyer and the seller was not offering anything, but Ryan wants to get paid, which she should be paid for representing them. That would mean she'd have to have almost a exclusive buyer's agency agreement that states she's going to receive a rate of X percent. I'm not going to put a percentage on there, but X percent and then submit that to the mortgage company. And the mortgage company would have to both approve the funds for the purchase of the home, but the funds as well to pay Ryan. Because right now that's not the way it works, even though the money's all coming from that pot when you get the mortgage. That would have to be the way it works in the future. And what I was trying to get at, Ben, I don't think that that's a process that's doable right now. Is that correct? I can't speak to that because we haven't come to that. Um, this hasn't come to fruition yet. So, you know, once it comes to fruition, you know, at that point, there might be certain guidelines that that do become available that may affect that. But at this point right now, I'm not aware of any guidelines that would affect that, the paying of it. Um, you know, anti-money laundering rules, and I'll touch on that briefly. I mean, we have to verify the funds. Um, we have to source and season them. And, and that's a big issue. You know, we can't just have mattress money. You know, you can't go to closing and show up with a box of $100 bills. You know, that it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, we have to verify the funds, where they come from, the bank accounts, 401ks, wherever, CDs. If you're selling a vehicle, you know, there's certain guidelines as to how we have to show where the proceeds are coming from. Um, and yes, please get a certified check so I can verify there was a check there. Um, so cash is very limited in my business. Um, so at this point, I can't speak to what the guidelines would be, if it would be acceptable or not, because we really haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure once we get there, there might be some guidelines. And my industry is constantly evolving, as it did during COVID and, and as it is year to date. You know, guidelines, they, they change all the time. So we have to pivot and, and uh, move and the direction around and ensure that we're they're meeting all those guidelines. But as of right now, there's nothing that I'm physically aware of that would um, impede a client from paying a buyer's commission. But I'm sure something, you know, if this does come to fruition, I'm sure there's something that'll come out. Right. So when you say that this could hurt the first time home buyer, you're kind of looking at the fact that they're going to pay the same amount of money likely for a home because that's not coming down right now. They're still going to have all the same settlement cost. Uh, plus now it's going to be an additional percentage on the purchase price of the home where before they didn't have that. So this is just taking some extra dollars out of their pocket, correct? Yeah, I don't see where the, the clients are going to have the, um, you know, the funds to, uh, available uh, in a lot of cases to, to pay a buyer's agency commission whether it's 3%, 2.5%, 1 1.5%, whatever that buyer's agency commission may be, um, a lot of my first-time home buyers just, just don't have the ability to do so. All right. So now we're going to toss this back over to Ryan because now it gets interesting. So Ryan, you're hearing Ben say that a lot of the people that are doing lending right now aren't able to get extra money, that it's already so tight. You may be working with some of these clients that get affected with this here in 2024. What would you do? And what do you think brokers and agents are going to be doing across this country? I'm not asking you to speak for them, but just kind of using your years of experience here. How are you going to work with a buyer if the buyer is now cash strapped? What are some ways that maybe realtors may have to be creative? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, there's there are actually, yeah, like Ben kind of touched on, there are a lot of buyers that are cash strapped, especially first time buyers. Um, but um Get, are you saying, are you asking me what potentially would I do or other agents do if this, if the buyers are not represented now or they have to pay for their own representation? Yes. Um, 
I mean, I think it's going to be a big problem. I think it's going to be a big problem because we're, I think we are going to regress to, you know, pre-buyer agency where buyers are going to be these, you know, wild, wild west buyers with no agents because they're like, well, I don't, I'll just wing it and I don't really need an agent um, because I don't want to pay that percentage or I can't pay that percentage um, to them. So I think really what will happen is buyers would end up without representation, you know, in a, in a lot of cases. And I think that that then creates what I've seen as a, in, in some cases, in some isolated cases as a um, sort of like, then you come into a dual agency with by default. So for example, if I am representing a buyer, this is sort of a reverse um, example, but if I'm representing a buyer in our current market and our current with our current rules and, and standards that, and I approach a for sale by owner, and I say to that seller, I have a buyer that's interested, and they say, sure, I'll pay you the commission, the one side of one half of what the full commission might be. And I sell, and I say to them, both written and verbally, I'm not representing you. I'm only representing the buyer. And they say, okay, no problem that I still end up having to negotiate and right. and bring those that, those parties together and act as I normally do as an agent. So I sort of, it's a towing a delicate line of not representing, but sort of representing because you, you're not, but you're, you feel like you are walking a tightrope <laughs> right. because you can't represent them. You can't get them advice. And yet they're asking you questions and you're, they're like, well, can you send me this document? And you do, you're doing these things that you do for your clients and people that you do represent or um, that you might do with another agent. But now there's no other agent on the other side. And I think that we're going to end up potentially we could end up in some really challenging situations like that. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, having a party unrepresented does not is not a good thing in this business. It's just not. Yeah, we, we've been there before. So historically, you can go back to the 1990s, early 1990s, and there was no buyer's agency in many states. Uh, it was unrepresented buyers. I think where the lines have started to get blurred. I remember uh, maybe it was Redfin, one of those services that started out in Seattle. I don't know if it was Redfin. Maybe you remember. Is that, is that the company that was out west? Did I have that right? I, yeah, Red. I don't know if it was Seattle, but yeah, it might be, yes. But... It, was, it was something out west. But I remember somebody wrote to me and they said, Greg, how much longer do you think you'll be in real estate now that all these online MLSs are going to be able to sell the homes themselves and cut you out? And I said, honestly, I think I'll be in real estate a long time if I want to stay in real estate because I have a fiduciary responsibility to take ethical actions to represent a buyer. And there's no way that some type of website is going to be able to ethically go through a seller's disclosure, listen to a home inspection, consult through my years of experience, my parents' years of experience, in order to tell them like, hey, this is exactly what you need. I think that this court case in Missouri is uh, perhaps one of the most damaging things to real estate and agency should people lose their representation in the future. Because with uh, homes, it's buyer beware. Right, you can get a home inspection. The home inspector is going to tell you, "Hey, you know what? I didn't take off the drywall because that would be frowned upon. So I don't know what's behind these studs." And we know there's all the time people flipping homes over top mold or whatever and going in. So you need a realtor to say, "You know what? I noticed this home actually sold just six months ago for a lot less money, and I think we might just want to work slower in this process." Can you, Ryan, maybe explain? the importance of agency in order to protect all parties? Um, yeah, so I think that you touched on it with saying that, you know, pre early 90s, there were there was no buyers, buyer agency that came about for a very good reason. Um, so I think an underrepresented party, either party um, is is a little bit tricky. And I think that it's it makes for um, I think it makes, I think having both parties represented is the best, is the best solution. I do think it's the ideal way for, for real estate to convey 
because everyone has um, someone on their side that is an expert that can help them understand the contract, that can help them navigate the contingencies, um, that can work alongside with someone like Ben who can help them navigate the mortgage aspect if they're getting a mortgage. Um, and then, you know, the, the third sort of party in that triangle would be the title company or the closing attorney who's also, you know, an integral part of that, um, of the process. But I just think not represented, it just, there's a myriad of things that can go wrong. There's a myriad of things that can go wrong even when you are represented. So, um, I, I, again, I've only seen, I've only seen bigger challenges when we look at transactions that occur with either one or both parties that are not represented. Right. Well, I'm just going to uh, kind of to wrap up some of this conversation. This has been great. Kind of like we've, we've hashed out the various different things for listeners, I think, to be a little bit more informed. The NAR, the National Association of Realtors, on January 11th, uh, started their post-trial motions to, to bring an appeal. And in that, they said that they felt that the jury during the court case lacked a legal sufficient basis on their plaintiff's claims, stating that they didn't understand the way that real estate worked, the way we just described it, well enough in order to state that there was some type of collusion. And so they said that the entire decision lacked logic and evidence. And their statement was, I'm going to read it to you. It says, we believe we have solid grounds for our continuing objections to the verdict. Our motions detail our arguments that the verdict was wrong and the facts and the judge applied the wrong law to the case, which played a large part in the jury reaching the incorrect conclusion. So this $1.8 billion just in Missouri that could start trickling down should NAR lose this case. I don't know what this would do the brokerages. I've never been a brokerage manager. I've always on the real estate side. If all of a sudden brokerages have to pay tens of millions of dollars, would this be uh, an extinction event of some small brokerages? And would we only be left with large brokerages should they be all fined across this country if this starts playing out? Is this something that brokerages should be paying attention to of, oh God, maybe this could come to my state next? Right. Is that a question for me? Yes. Um, I don't know that. I don't know. Um, it's something we've never seen, you know, I don't think ever, but certainly not in my tenure in real estate. So I don't know. I think that regardless, we are going to see some sort of ripple effect. Um, I hope for the sake of our clients and our, and our real estate market that you know, agency, buyer agency is not done away with um, or somehow pushed to the side and, and rarely used. Um, I think that there will be additional disclosure documentation, which, you know, or, or I don't know how they, in, we have disclosures, we have consumer information statements. Every state has some form of it, whether it's written or sometimes it's verbal, but that's required. Ours are written in, in Delaware and, you, and and Pennsylvania, where I also work. So you have to disclose the agency relationship, whether can your clients actually read it. I mean, I go over it, but, you know, I don't know that they really always understand it. I mean, it's like we all do that to an extent. I think we have documents and we trust the person that's showing it to us and we sign it. So. Uh, I mean, to some level, you want to trust your agent that you hire, right? Because right. they're hoping you're, they are really, truly looking out for your best interest. Um, and that's like life, you know, in some ways, that's every industry in some ways. Um, I trust, you know, somebody like Ben and that, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, tell me what this mortgage rate means and what this means for the life of the loan and how these things all affects me and he tells me and he briefs me on it and I sign the documents. Do I sit there and read every page of the note and the mortgage at a closing for myself? No, I don't. Right. So I think some of it is, is, you know, we have to trust who we're working with and that's a big ask. And that's, I'm not saying, you know, don't disclose. I'm saying absolutely disclose. And those disclosures are there for a reason. I think they might get heftier. They might get more robust or there might be additional things added um, you know, in legislature, or there might be further regulations, you know, there always are. When I started, our agreement of sale was one or two pages, and now it's nine. So 
you know, I think these things are going to, it will change. Some fabric of our industry will change what it is. I just, I'm not sure yet. Just curious, did the contract or language change at all over the last six months since this court case? Uh, is the Delaware contract still the same or have there been any adjustments to it? I don't think anything's changed since the okay. court case. Yeah. Um, there's always changes. So I could be, I'm just you know, curious. Not, no, I, I don't have any, any knowledge that it has. I don't um, think so, but yeah, okay. it is always evolving and changing. They, you know, updating not every year usually, but right. you know, every few years is there something that, you know, they update and change it. So I don't think as a direct result that anything has changed yet within our state contract in Delaware. So Ben, uh, you know, hearing all this, talking to Ryan, um, it's good to have quality people like both of you uh, representing people. And I mean that, like, you know, this conversation, people are in very good hands with many realtors. Make sure that you're finding your own Ryan where you live, your own Ben where you live. Uh, but Ben, hearing this, how do you feel since you and I first talked about this as a topic for the show, how are you feeling about the path forward for buyers did Ryan make you feel any bit better about where things are going? Uh, what are some of the the takeaways, the the things that you would like to learn more about in the future? Um, and where do you see things going just in general after this conversation? Well, at this point, I mean, there's a lot that's left unknown and we have to wait to see what the court case is going to reveal. I mean, we don't, you know, this, this court case could go on for God knows how long. Okay. So, you know, at this point right now, for me, it's status quo to take care of my clients, make sure they're educated on what's available to them today and, you know, to guide them, you know, seven days a week as my call, as you, you've seen, Greg, I get phone calls at all hours, Saturday, Sunday, it doesn't matter. They're, they're always coming through, but, uh, but that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the client as Ryan is as well. And, you know, we're here to represent their best interest and to make sure they thoroughly understand every part of the mortgage program, of the buying, the selling, you know, depending on which which facet we're looking at here. But, you know, as as for the court case, I, I really don't know. There's too much that's the too many unknowns at this point. Um, I don't know when it's going to go through fruition. Um, I know that in the industries that we're all in here between Ryan and I, we we pivot, and and the ultimate um, thing is we're, we're there for one person, one reason. That's a client, and we're here to represent them to the fullest. Um, to make sure that their needs are, are addressed and, and and so forth. If it comes down to where clients have to pay for a realtor uh, on a buyer's side, um, I, you know, I don't know from a mortgage industry stand where we stand because we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. Um, you know, we'll we'll address that when it happens, um, if it happens, I should say. Um, so, and most importantly, right now, I mean, if clients bring it to my attention right now, it is not a thing. You know, but in the future, it may become something and um, we hope it doesn't, um, or at least for my buyer's uh, buyer's point of view, it does, I hope it doesn't. Um, but, you know, right now I'm just here for them. I'm here for the client to make sure that they're well informed on everything they needed to know, payments, rates, what they qualify for and so forth, and make sure they always get the closing in a very smooth way. But, um, you know, the, the big, the big, I guess the big, uh, the big concern of tonight is we shall see. I don't, I, you know, we'll see what happens. Yep. Well, we talked through at least a lot of the issues that could be problematic down the road, um, which my goal for doing the show was I didn't see this topic broached by hardly any media. I didn't see outside of like the, here's what happened in the court case. I didn't see an in-depth, here's what's next. Should A go to B, this equals C. And I feel like we did that well. Uh, so I appreciate you both being willing to have this conversation because a more educated country of listeners is better. So as this court case continues through, people will be like, oh, you know what? I heard about this or I read about this on the site, on the network, um, and somebody forwarded this to me and I watched this video and I got better knowledge on it. So that's what we do. We educate on the show, whether it's about politics, it's about finance, it's about uh, our our mental health or spiritual health. Like I have all different types of topics and this is just serving that audience within in, in that way as well. Uh, if you are in the Pennsylvania or Delaware area and you enjoyed Ryan's in, uh, you can contact her. She's with a company called Compass. And so if uh, you know, you'd like to learn more about real estate needs, I'd like to give a nice shameless plug uh, for you being on my show, Ryan, to make sure that my listeners are uh, willing to reach out to you for help 
um, as well as, you know, uh, all the other realtors that were helpful in me preparing for this, Kat Paglia Campy, Jeff Bollinger as well. I want to say thank you to both of them for your conversations because it helped make me more informed to have this conversation with Ben and Ryan. Uh, so feel free to reach out to, to Ryan and, and get that. And then Ben, uh, I know that you are in Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. I have a good amount of listeners in Maryland and Pennsylvania and Delaware looking at my metrics. So if uh, you're looking for mortgage advice, uh, he is a mortgage consultant. Ben, where do you want them to reach out to you? You know, phone number's fine. Um, 302-559-8625. You can call or text me at that number at any time. You can reach me on um, Instagram or um, Facebook as well. It's just Ben Basosa. And Ryan, how about yourself? How do you want people to reach out to you? Uh, sure. Yeah, Sam, um, you can uh, call me or email me. I'll give you my email. That's probably easier. Uh, Ryan, R-Y-A-N dot Zinn, Z-I-N-N at compass.com. And also I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. Well, I appreciate you both taking the time to be here with my audience. Um, it's been a pleasure. There's so many other things we could talk about in real estate with where this uh, year is about to go. Uh, but I think we're going to leave it here for tonight and uh, try to honor people's time. If they've been listening in the car during their ride, watching online, uh, appreciate everybody. So Ryan, Ben, thank you so much for being my guest on the show this evening. Greg, thank you. It was really fun. Thanks, Greg. Greatly appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Have a great night. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ryan. All right, Bold Americans, that wraps up yet another show here. Whew, we covered a lot of ground, this whole Burnett versus NAR. What do you think? Feel free to send in your comments. You can go over to my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash America Emboldened. It's free to subscribe. Uh, we have a nice community there of other bold Americans and reach out. Let me know what your thoughts are. Is this going to hurt the home buyers, hurt the sellers, hurt real estate even more in what's already going on? As well as, are you fed up with home prices? Are you fed up with interest rates? You know, we got an election coming up. What's going to happen with all of this? We know that under Joe Biden's presidency, the interest rates have gone up, up, and up. Well, that's kind of a, a given after we gave out free money and we caused inflation for such a long period of time. That started under the last president. Donald Trump continued under Joe Biden. Can we reel this back in? Will the housing market get better? And does this just muddy the waters? I'd love to hear from you, the Bold American audience, so feel free to reach out and let me know. Uh, as always, I hope that I honor your time well with my guests, Ben and Ryan. I look forward to seeing you guys all in the very next show. We'll continue on. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden. Be bold, America. Music.